0: aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about Estate Planning Essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and did it my way.
1: Welcome to another Estate Planning Essentials program. My name is Don Crawford Jr the honored owner of KAAM Radio and co-host of this program, which has been going on for eight or nine years now, maybe longer. I've lost track. With this fine gentleman, this outstanding attorney, my very good friend and co-host Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing? Doing very good, almost. At the end of the summer, I'm waiting for those temperatures to drop so I can walk my dog every morning at 5.30 a.m. with a jacket on. Yeah, well, football is already in the air. Yes, it really is. And it's, it means it's time for a new season and we're looking forward to that. But it's the same season with you. It's the same advice, which is always extremely sound, to use that word again, regarding estate planning. And last week, we talked about IRAs, individual retirement accounts. Not the Inflation Reduction, um, approach. what's the A stand for? Inflation Reduction Act. Uh-huh. That's what it is. We're going to talk about, we talked about IRAs. This week, we're going to talk about Medicaid, not necessarily related, but still government-involved, government-, involved, government interaction intervention and there are 10 common mistakes people make when completing Medicaid applications for nursing homes and I don't know if that's related to the current acts that are possibly coming down but it's something for people to know about
2: yeah let me tell you why this is important because most Americans do not have adequate either income or assets to pay for long-term care okay so they think about what happens when they die but a lot of times you don't think about when you're alive yep. and as people live longer they're more likely to be disabled uh, in some way shape manner or form so you know before you go any further I
1: just you can't emphasize that enough to remind the celebrities who don't care or it won't matter because I'm dead well it will matter. Because you may be alive and you may need uh, outstanding and aggressive estate planning or other benefits.
2: Yeah, I mean, people again. I mean, the cost of care is great. Uh, the average in texas for let's say a nursing home is over seven thousand a month wow. and a lot of places some places are over ten thousand dollars a month we used and to mention the show
1: and used to say four thousand and change yeah, you're yeah. already up to seven thousand all these years later
2: yeah i know uh, I'm, I'm on a board of a particular nursing home the average place there is over ten thousand. Oh a month. my gosh wow so okay. how so then if you live long and let's say you live for You know, my grandmother was in a facility for 13 years. Wow. Can you imagine what that cost is? If it's $10,000 a month... That's one hundred twenty thousand. But even if it was only five thousand, right. you know, and she lived for thirty. If it's five five thousand a month, well, that's uh, seven hundred eighty thousand dollars approximately. And if you mm-hmm. double that, then that's going to be over a million and a half. Mm-hmm. It's not if, going down, is it, Michael? No, <laughs> <cost> no. <laughs> yeah, you know, and usually nursing home costs exceed the inflation rate. Right. So, especially with cost, you know, when you have labor costs, the, the nursing home industry is having s- some different issues that have to be addressed because labor cost is getting greater and people are more likely to sue nursing homes because of Mm -hmm. different things Uh, so there's just a lot of different types of issues remember during covid when people got sick and stuff like that so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah so cost of care is getting greater whether it be at home or in a nursing home and so as we and we're continuing to live longer Right. But as we talked about on the show a few weeks ago, people may live longer, but they may end up having things like Alzheimer's or some sort of dementia. Mm-hmm. So how do you pay for the cost of care? And a lot of people don't have long-term care insurance or inadequate income or assets. So then we have to say, what can we do? And a lot of times people apply for Medicaid. Medicare doesn't has very limited coverage. Only if you have a three-day hospitalization, say, then you get 20 days full pay and additional 80 days copay. If you have a Medicare supplement, most people, don't, uh, a lot of people, don't have that, okay. and, and and so as a result, they have to rely on the government to get eligible for Medicaid. And for Medicaid, it's means tested, and so there's lots of different issues with that. What is means tested for the means? That means that they look at your assets, and they look at your income, and they look and see if you've made any transfers. And so, in fact, in our July workshop that we had a couple months ago, uh, the most questions at the workshop were regarding Medicaid mm-hmm. more than ever before we saw that people were saying, oh, M.G., the cost of care is so great. What can I do? What can I do? And had a variety of questions, all related to more than ever about long-term care, because the cost is great. People have limited resources, mm-hmm. uh, or they want to protect their resources, either for their spouse or for their children. And so they say, what can we do to shift the burden of cost of care uh, to the government because I can't afford it?
1: Yeah, about that? Well, that's amazing, um, frightening. Um, the great President Ronald Reagan said it sometime when he was president, I believe, that um, freedom lost is freedom lost forever. Brilliant remark. I heard that, I think, today. Uh, he also said trust but verify. And I think that's what you mean when you say means tested, where the government Try as you may, will engage in their due diligence to make sure that you are following the law, that you keep what is yours, but the government gets what's theirs.
2: Yeah, and they have so they have these rules, just like anything laws, and if you comply with the rules, then you may get the government to help pay. But right. if you don't comply, we well don't. All right, fair enough. Okay, so the first one – so I'm going to go through 10 common mistakes that people make in a Medicaid application where people want the government to help pay for care. The first one is the good news is your home doesn't count – as a resource if you're married no limit but if you're single the equity limit is 636,000 in year 2022 okay. so that most people uh, most Texans at least uh, and the, the, the rules by the way vary from state to state so if you're in California or New York uh, the cost of housing is much greater so they have it may be over a million dollars for a home there mm-hmm. you know the average home in San Francisco is over a million dollars so um, that's why a lot of of these uh, Californians come to Texas yes. uh, they could Uh, they think it's really cheap living because they could just sell their home in California and move Mm -hmm. here. Because it is cheap living compared to California. Well, it is. It is. It is. So, but for a home to not count, you have to have an intent to return home, an intent to return home. So when you do the Medicaid application, there's actually a spot and actually even a different form that says if you intend to return home. Now, a lot of people think, oh, somebody's got dementia. They'll never come home. But on the Medicaid application, if you don't say that there's an intent to return home, it's no longer your homestead. And if it's no longer your homestead, then all of a sudden you're ineligible. Interesting. So wow. it's a little trick. Wow. On the Medicaid application, this makes all the difference in the world. I once had an associate that didn't know that rule, and I almost I almost fainted <laughs> right. or maybe hit the roof. Yeah, right. And, it, and she didn't say intend to return home because this really is important. So each month, remember, the average cost of care is over $7,000 a month now. So each month that you didn't say there's an intent to return home, then then there's ineligibility. And right now, the uh, government, it takes some. Uh, even after you submit the application, the average time before you hear a response mm-hmm. is over three months after you submit the application. So uh, so if you didn't hear, if let's say it was $7,000 a month and you didn't hear for three or four months, well, that's going to be $7,000 for each month that you didn't say intend to return home. So that's a big mistake. Okay? Amazing. So, yeah, so be careful. If you're trying to do this on your own... Mm-hmm. Be sure and say, now, I'm not sure that that's a good idea to do on your own, but if you should try to do it on your own, be sure and say there's an intent to return home if you never think that your loved one may come home.
1: The analogy I have for that is sometimes, uh, although I don't make it a habit, I will not read the subject line and just read the body of the email and not realize what the subject is about. And I'll assume something and the subject is never addressed in the email itself. And then I'll make a mistake. In your case, you're
2: saying, if you leave something blank, you may get yourself in trouble. Yeah. I mean, anything, you've got you to fill in the blanks. Right. And if you don't fill in the blanks, the government's going to, well, they could construe it against you.
1: Right. Fascinating. Well, I'm glad that was
2: excellent advice. Okay. Other common mistakes? You know, most people, a lot of people, to avoid probate or to avoid guardianship in their estate planning, have a revocable living trust. Revocable, okay. Uh-huh. They could always revoke it or amend it. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of times, people put their home into a revocable living trust. Well, if you do that, under the Medicaid rules, it will count as a resource. Usually, your biggest asset that doesn't count for Medicaid is your home. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you put it in a, a revocable trust, even though it may be a homestead for uh, property tax purposes, if you have the language that's required by Texas under Section 1113J, of the property tax code, that you know you tend to occupy the property. if you put, For Medicaid, so sometimes people routinely do revocable trust, whether they do it through attorney or through it on their own. For Medicaid, if you don't have long-term care insurance or inadequate income, it, You're going to have to take that home out of the trust for it to not count as a resource. Now, we've talked about in prior shows the way to solve the problem is you take the property out of the trust and do uh, either a ladybird deed or a transfer on debt deed where it could go right back into the trust after you die. Which gets into another topic that I might want to discuss if we ever had the time, okay? Because there's some what happens to the person. Well, whatever. If you named an individual, what happens if that person died first? And the answer is different on Lady ladybird deed than a transfer on death deed. By the way, the answer is at the workshop. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Well, anyway, I'll get back to it. The homestead in a revocable trust counts as a resource. One of the mistakes that people make is that they have a revocable trust. They don't think it's. They think it's just just because on a revocable trust, it's just treated like you for tax purposes just as if it's yours. Mm -hmm. But for Medicaid, the rules are different. And so you have to take the home out of the trust. That's the key. For this whole program, every program with Medicaid, the rules are different. Assume nothing. What else, Michael? Number three, failing to consider the cash surrender value of your life insurance policy. Wow. So we had somebody last month, we said, what are your assets? And so they told me what their assets were, but they didn't even mention the life insurance policy. Or if they thought it was a term a policy. term policy has, uh, you know, it just has no cash value. So for Medicaid, a term life insurance policy, because it has no cash value, so you don't have any money to help pay for cost of care. It doesn't count as a resource. But if you have a life insurance policy that has a face value of over $1,500, or if there's more than one policy and the total is over 1500 then they count whatever the cash surrender value is towards the amount of resources. In other words, you could borrow against that policy to pay for care, so it counts as an asset. Some people just don't even realize what their life that they uh, have a, what their life insurance policy is, and whether it's term or universal life or if it's whole life. Uh, and we have to figure out the government wants to see if you have this asset that could help pay for care cost because it's means tested. Okay. If you're single, all you could have is a couple thousand dollars of countable resource. Now we've already talked about the home doesn't count. And we'll talk about some other things that do not count in a minute. But the home doesn't count as long as it's not in the trust okay an irrevocable trust now sometimes we use irrevocable trust mm-hmm. if we're planning in advance so if we planned on selling the home sometimes we put the home in a certain type of trust that it's not affecting you tax wise right. but doesn't count as a resource so if you sold the home during uh, before you should ever apply for Medicaid now it doesn't count as a resource because it's owned by the trust but mm-hmm. well, that gets into more complications got you um, okay number four. Number four of the 10 common mistakes is you pay somebody else's bills. So let's say you had a child and you're paying for their car insurance Mm -hmm. or something else. You pay their car payments. Mm -hmm. Education
1: bill, maybe? Would that
2: count? it it could. Okay, could. It could. It's it's a, a definite maybe. <laughs> okay, definite maybe. I'll stop there. Yeah, okay. I mean, because there are exceptions to the rules. So under the Medicaid rules, since you asked the question, if you put the money into an irrev- irrevocable 529, mm-hmm. not all 520, 529s are, you, you know, say for somebody's college education, mm-hmm. uh, then that is an exception to the five-year look-back period, or if you put the money into to a UTMA Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account if the child is under or a grandchild or a great grandchild for that matter or anybody on the UTMA it it doesn't even have to be a relative then if it goes to that UTMA for that person it is an exception to the five-year look-back period. So if you're single uh, then uh, and you wanted to you say, okay, I want to take care, it's either paying the nursing home or my grandchild's education. Right then uh, then you might be able to make the transfer uh, to the Utmore or the irrevocable 529 and provide for that grandchild uh, without being a transfer penalty for Medicaid because the government normally presumes that if you make a gift that you did on purpose to get eligible for Medicaid and it's a penalized event. In this case, under the scenario that you just mentioned, then there are some planning options. So then that gets into another question on your power of attorney. What well, if that person Tax mental capacity. So, in your power of attorney, you need to have the additional ability to make those gifts, and it may be more than the annual exclusion. So, now they get into the tax issues and the Medicaid issues. You know, for if I'm switching gears here now, I apologize, mm-hmm. but this is why it gets a little bit more complicated. There's tax laws and there's Medicaid laws. You know, under the tax laws, you give up to $16,000 a year without even reporting to the IRS. One of the ex- There are two exceptions to that without reporting. And if you pay somebody else's health bills or education bills, meds and eds, uh, mm-hmm. then you it's an exception and it's OK for tax purposes without reporting to the IRS. But for Medicaid, for Medicaid, there could be this issue when you pay somebody else's bills. So there's the tax law and then the Medicaid laws and the rules differ. Just like if you gave away up to $16,000 a year for gift tax planning purposes, then that is not, you don't even have to report that the IRS for gift taxes, the one who makes the transfer, does not have to file a gift tax return if less than $16,000 a year. And by the way, for a somebody's, let's say they wanted to do some sort of plan and they wanted to give, they didn't pay directly to the college, let's say they could do five years into some sort of plan of $16,000 a year per person, that's $80,000, again, without a taxation issue so there are different types of planning you could do for college education mm-hmm. and so if that person needs long term care we have to consider both the tax issues and the Medicaid issues okay what was the age limitation for
1: when you 21 21 years old
2: yeah so okay. now if you're between 18 and 21 for an mm-hmm. UBA, most banks won't let you just set up the account mm-hmm. after age a majority of 18 in Texas mm-hmm. but there are some companies that let you do it up to age 21 which comply with the Texas Medicaid laws. Okay. By the way, these laws on Medicaid, that's another thing, they vary from state to state. Yeah, I bet. You can't do that in other states. hmm Texas is saying we think it's a good thing to provide for a college education, so therefore we will have this exception to the rules. Your power of attorney should give that ability to make the gifting more than perhaps the annual exclusion. Without that, if you lack capacity, so if somebody just used a statutory form for Medicaid, that may not be appropriate because it failed to be giving yourself the option to give those planning opportunities to to preserve more resources for either you or your family.
1: Michael and I sit in the studio and we execute each program. And to give you a theater of the mind, he and I face each other with microphones in front of us. And let me preface by saying he knows a lot about football. Dallas Cowboys, NFL, college, went to SMU, very bright man but he knows a lot more about estate planning and the law. And when I ask him, you know, what is the age limit, 21 years old, not think about it. There's nothing to read. He knows this, pardon the cliche, like the back of his hand. He's so bright and so reliable. And that's why you need to attend his next estate planning essentials workshop on Saturday, September the 17th at 10 o'clock in the morning to do nothing but see for yourself. He doesn't read with me and he won't read with you at the workshop. He'll simply answer your question based on his current knowledge because it is very, very current and he will guide you he will be the guardrail advising suggesting what you might consider doing at that workshop and it allows you the opportunity to ask a particular question that is on your mind that plagues you, that worries you, that you shouldn't try to find online. You should try to find in person at these workshops, which tell them first, Michael, where the workshop is and then what goes on.
2: They're at the conference center of our office mm-hmm. building, and uh, which is close to Medical City Hospital, okay. right across the street. Mm-hmm. And so that's at Forest uh, near Central Expressway, 75 for those who are more into numbers. Okay, So mm-hmm. it's close to 635 and... Central. So to go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. At that estate planning essentials que- workshop, we just ask you what you want to know. Mm-hmm. I told you that the one that happened to be in July, the questions were mostly on Medicaid, which is our topic today. Right. But every workshop is different. Uh, sometimes it's more on estate planning, wills, trusts, powers of or maybe taxation issues. Sometimes it's about veterans benefits. We never know what every workshop's different because I never know what questions they're going to be asking. We've been doing the workshops are getting close to 10 years and every workshop has been different because people's questions are different. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so those during the workshop, we ask people what they want to know and then we proceed to write them on a board and I answer those questions within those two hours. That's free. Um, there will be a presentation presentation, too, about general things that we think that people should know about, and then whether it be about state planning or Medicaid and then we answer the questions throughout the workshop you'll learn from not only your questions to being being answered but the other questions of others and I think you're going to not only learn something but you'll see that the two hours will fly by and that you'll have some fun along the way it's a free workshop there's free donuts muffins coffee
1: KWM coffee mugs those kinds of things too which is nice and it'll help make the time fly even faster and you'll walk out of there saying I have more questions which is usually the case
2: yeah and so to in. Then you get the extra benefit besides the two hour free estate planning essentials workshop. You'll also get the opportunity, but not the obligation, to have another one on one, another meeting with me personally, one on one, to see what your situation is individually. A it's vision, free vision, a vision meeting. Yeah, right? we call it a vision meeting okay. uh, just to kind of give a vision for yeah. your future Great. as to what your own planning may be, whether it's connection with disability or whether it's at death or a combination of yeah. both mm-hmm. uh, for both you and your loved Ones. And so uh, to do that, all you have to do is call that 214-720-0102 telephone number or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's Dallas Elder lawyer.com or call 214-720-0102. Very
1: good. Very helpful. A few more mistakes people make when filling out a Medicaid application for a nursing home, Michael. we got about three minutes left.
2: Oh, gee. Okay. Well, i got a lot more, sure. but I'll tell you this. One of the mistakes is, remember I told you the laws change from state to state. Mm-hmm. In most states, as part of the quote-unquote spin-down to get down to the Medicaid asset limit, some people pay their child as a caregiver. In Texas, we think there's a duty of a child to take care of a parent. Now there are a few different programs. There's hundred and nine Medicaid programs, each with their own rules. Wow. Some programs it's not an issue, but on long term care Medicaid, if you pay your child uh, for nursing home Medicaid, then it's a disqualifying event as if it was a gift. Okay. Most states, that's a different story. They may have some exceptions. Real briefly, failing to identify all closed accounts. Medicaid is concerned about transfers, so you have to identify, and there you check tapes with the IRS, all closed accounts within five years. Another thing is making the thing what we mentioned earlier, the annual exclusion gifts. We said, you know, for, for IRS purposes, you give up to $16,000 a year. Mm-hmm. But for Medicaid, if you do that, that's a disqualifying event. So be careful on that. Okay, Filing to make your IRA distributions. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, uh, or maybe it was last week's show, that we talked about IRAs and it didn't count for Medicaid if you make required minimum distributions. So if you fail to do that, it will count as a resource. So one of the things you need to do is either make that required minimum distribution, but if you have a Roth, you're going to have to buy an annuity for it to not count as a resource. This we talked about before. Or if you're under seventy-two and you're applying for long-term care Medicaid, then you need to buy an annuity within that IRA for it to not count. Uh, number the next one I'll mention real briefly is you're looking. Medicaid is an income limit. The pro- present limit for the applicant is two thousand five hundred twenty-three dollars a month. If you don't, if your income is over that, you have to do a certain type of income trust called qualified income trust. A lot of people look at the net, how much is just deposit in your account and not the gross. So for like Social Security, typically you have withdrawal for Medicare Part B before it gets into your bank account. Mm. That typically one hundred seventy dollars and ten cents. If you don't look at the gross, then there could have been ineligibility for each month that you didn't do that qualified income trust and put the income into the trust. And then, uh, and one final thing I'm going to mention real quickly, is looking, uh, since they look at the assets on the first day of each month at 12.01 a.m., a lot of people just look at the balance of their statement and not look at what it was on the first day of the month at 12.01 a.m. So you have to look at the assets as of that first day of that month. Sometimes there's what they, they also have to look at checks to see if the checks were Written before the first day of that month because there's an encumbered funds rule that you can look at that and subtract that from the to determine whether you're below the limit or not, particularly if you are a single person who's an applicant. Lots of different rules, lots of different things, lots of different mistakes that people can make. The good news is that you just have to go by the rules. You just have to know what the rules are. The really
1: good news is that there's people like Michael Cohen who know the rules, who make sure that you fill out everything you need to on the form. Or that you don't inaccurately fill out the form and make a huge mistake that could come back to haunt you today or later. The first step to make sure that doesn't happen is to attend Michael's next workshop, which is Saturday, September the 17th at 10 o'clock. Dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com for that free in-person estate planning essentials workshop on Saturday, the 17th of September at 10 o'clock. Our estate planning essential attorney and host and friend and partner, Michael Cohen. I thank you, sir.
0: Thank you, Don. A leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.